So we're talking about, we're continuing from Sunday along the lines of, of identity. And I'm just so pumped about this passage. This could be so amazing. I'm looking forward to running through this. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Verse 15. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So we're talking about building a high Christ esteem. You know, like we can have a self-esteem that is high or low. And based on people's self-esteem or self-confidence, they can often be very presentable to a room or also a recluse away. I mean, esteem matters in, in your relationships. And so Paul here is saying that we no longer live for ourselves but for him. So the pattern of the Christian life is about denying self. When you, you know, I would say the shyest person in the room, now doesn't have to be this room, but any room, um, the shyest person in the room usually has extremely high consciousness of self. And no one would probably say it, but the truth is, is they're generally extremely selfish. It's an awareness of self. It's not like I'm possessive. It's an selfishness. It's an awareness of so aware of you that it actually draws attention to you that you're, that you're recluse. And so the whole room, without ever saying it, will pay attention to the one that reclused because of that awareness of self. It's almost like a vacuum. You ever seen someone make a sucking sound when they walk in a room? You know, so much self is happening. Like when they walked in, the whole room was about them. Self. So it says, we are to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. So those who are not living for themselves no longer recognize one another according to the flesh. So even though we have known Christ according to to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. So what's he talking about? There were disciples who knew Jesus in person before before he was crucified. And they met him according to the flesh. He grew up among them. He was the kid in the temple talking. He's the kid that, that jumped off the caravan and ran away from his parents for three days. Like, that was Jesus when he was little. There are people who knew him before the cross. And Paul is saying, we don't know Jesus like we knew him when we saw him in the flesh. We now know him after the Spirit. And so the exhortation here is, you have seen your brother and sister in the flesh before. But his challenge is know them after the Spirit. Do not recognize them according to their fallen nature. Recognize them to their renewed spirit man. That is a culture that gets established in esteem. You know, and how can we recognize our brother after the Spirit if we don't recognize ourselves after the Spirit? We have to see ourselves that I see my spirit man. I don't recognize and stare at my failures all day long. I don't mm-hmm. sit there and just navel gaze. Like, I am a new man in yeah. Christ. I'm a new creation. Look what happened in Matthew, um, Matthew chapter 13. It says, He, speaking of Jesus, came to his hometown and began teaching them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Is not this the carpenter's son? What are they doing? They're talking about him after the flesh. 
about what they see. Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? And are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? Verse 57, and they took offense at him. So what's the fruit of looking at your brother's flesh? Offense. Offense. You want to know how to get an offense? Is look at the failures of your of your friends. And just meditate on them all night long. Look at their failures. Look at their shortcomings. And just, like, if you meditate on their shortcomings, you will eventually get offended with them. It's impossible. You can't sit there and look at their failures all night long and not come away offended. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor in his hometown uh, and in his own household. Verse 58, And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So Jesus was hindered from doing mighty works because the people did not recognize the Messiah after the Spirit. They saw him after the flesh. They didn't see him differently after the dove, the Holy Spirit comes as a dove out of heaven and lands on Jesus There should have been a a switch in their system. When Jesus stood up in the temple and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. This scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. I am the Messiah. At that point, he has to switch from being Jesus of Nazareth to Jesus Christ. He is Jesus our Lord. He is no longer just a man among us. I recognize who he is. When you recognize someone according to the Spirit, it changes things. If you look at their flesh... You get offended. Verse 17, there if anyone, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so now we're talking about everyone. We just went from Jesus to talking about the entire body. If, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature or a new creation. Another translation says, the old things have passed away. What are the old things? The flesh. Behold, new things have come. What are the new things? It's your new spirit, man. It's who you are after Christ. <clears throat> We should be seeing one another not after our failure, but after who we are in Jesus. That is a way of life. And if we don't see ourselves that way, there's no way we're going to see someone else that way. It begins on on an inside job with saying, I'm a new creation. I'm a son or I'm a daughter. My old man is gone. He's no longer here. I am a new man. I am a new person. When you settle that on the inside of you, then you go outward and say, you're a new man. You're a new person. I see the newness in you. Verse 16, we do not recognize ourselves after the old things, but the new things. Where do these new things come from? Verse 18, now all these things are from God. We're looking at what God has done in someone's life. What did he do? He who reconciled us to himself through Christ. What did he do? He reconciled us. So sin brought separation. Jesus brought reconciliation. Reconciled is a past tense verb. We were reconciled in Christ at at Jesus' death uh, on the cross. We're reconciled him for those in Christ. Uh, We are now, we were reconciled. So we're not trying to get reconciled. We are reconciled. We are reconciled. This is talking about the reconciliation because of the separation from sin. Initial sin. Initial sin brought separation from us and, and the Father. So, 
through the blood of Jesus, we're now reconciled. We're not trying to get re-reconciled. If there's a mess up or something in our life, we're not trying to get re-reconciled. That's not what it's talking about. We need to clean it up. But Jesus has paid the price once for all so that we can be one with the Father. So now on this side of the cross, the Bible tells us come boldly before the throne of grace when in your time of need. He didn't say come when you're perfect. He says come when you're messed up. He has given us reconciliation. He's given us access to come to him in our worst moment, not at our best moment. Most of us are waiting for our best moments to go after the things of God. But God says it's your worst moments that you come to me. Come to me in your worst moments because that's how you find grace in the time of need. So what has he given us now? Scripture says, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what is the ministry of reconciliation? It is introducing Christ to the sinner. It is that block party in Horizon saying, let's have a block party and get some people to Jesus. Like, I want to learn from them. Let's, let's do one. Like, let's do it. So what is ministry of reconciliation? Introducing Christ to the sinner. Verse 19, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. God is in us just as he was in Christ in the earth. The same way, just as God the Father was moving in Jesus, when Jesus was walking in the earth, Jesus is now moving in us now, in the earth, ministering um, with the ministry of reconciliation. So what was God doing in Christ during his time on the earth? He was not counting their trespasses against them. And what is he doing in us? He has committed us the word of reconciliation. That's really good news. This is the gospel. Like This is gospel 101, that, that Jesus died for us. Verse 20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. Now an ambassador is a representative of one sent from another kingdom. It's a kingdom term. It's not a democratic term. It's a kingdom term. An ambassador comes from another kingdom, sent to another realm, another kingdom, to establish the new kingdom. That ambassador is given all the resources he needs from his kingdom from which he was sent. Every bit of resources that that ambassador needs is on his side. And while an ambassador is present in another country, if that country touches that ambassador or his embassy, they just declared war on the kingdom he came from. Right? That's why people will send bombs around the embassy to intimidate and try to scare people or to threaten to show, hey, we're going to do something here. But they don't actually bomb the embassy because once they bomb the embassy, they bomb the country. And now you've just picked a fight because that ambassador and that embassy represents an entire nation. So here we are as ambassadors of Christ in, in an embassy that's why there's an authority in our assembly. There's, we are God's building. We are his embassy in the earth. And our role is to extend the kingdom. How? With the ministry of reconciliation. No longer looking at our brothers according to the flesh. Recognizing them according to the spirit. For those who have not been reconciled to God, we go as ambassadors to say, hey, there's good news. Jesus has died for you. He has paid the price for your sins. There is salvation available now for you. This is good news. We are ambassadors. We bring that message. 
to reconcile the world to Christ. We extend the borders of the embassy and in turn we extend the borders of the kingdom in this realm. The enemy cannot obtain victory over God's ambassadors because the battle's already won. It happened, it shows Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. This is past tense. Verse 14, having canceled, past tense, out their certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile toward us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having nailed it to the cross. Verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, triumphed over them uh, through him. So the, the, the enemy can't have victory over our life. It's, all, it's, it's a... When he tries to have victory, it is our role to put him in his place, to remove any access from, his, from our life that he may have, any foothold from our life, because he is a defeated foe. Like we have the grace and the privilege of invoking the blood of Jesus to every area of our life. You have victory in any area that you apply the blood. This is what it's talking about. Deny yourself, take up your cross, identify now with the cross, and follow Jesus. Every area we need victory, it's not that Jesus hasn't done it. It's that most of the time we've not applied the cross in that area of our life. The blood has to be applied. As I talk about with the, you know, in the plague of Egypt, uh, the, when they did the blood on the doorpost, the blood in the bucket doesn't save you. It's the blood applied. The blood that gets on the doorpost. That's what saves you. That's what delivers you. Um, so what is God seeking to accomplish through his ambassadors? It says, um, as, the, as though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This is what God's doing. He wants us to make an appeal. Having a block party for a neighborhood so that kids come, so you can tell them about Jesus, you are appealing to them. Jesus died for you. You know, when we, uh, Sunday, we, we cast the net, for who wants to get saved? Nobody raises their hand. So what did I do? I began to appeal to them. Sir, have you made a confession of Jesus? Do you know Jesus? No one knows. What about you? How are you? Do you know Jesus? Is he in your heart? In the old days, this is what the evangelists did. They'd go to people. Do you know Jesus? I know you don't know Jesus. You need to get saved. Come to Jesus. It's called leading people to Jesus. You gave them by the hand and you take them to Jesus. He says, make, he says, appeal. This is the ministry of reconciliation. This is our job as ambassadors to appeal to someone. Please be reconciled to Jesus. You know, Lorena, when she, she connected us to that, to that uh, viewing with her mom, she was appealing to her family, please be reconciled to Jesus. He died for you. Please make that confession. Please do that. You know, there was a, I heard Michael Kilianos uh, talking about this once. And he said, you know, there was a time in my life where I refused to beg people to come to Jesus. He says, as that time in my life is over, I will gladly beg you to come to Jesus. I will stand here and I will beg you, please come to Jesus. Because once you get the heart of the Father, the last thing you want to do is see anybody go to hell. The closer you get to them, the more of a beggar it turns you into. You start, please come to Jesus. 
when everyone has not raised their hand, you say, please, if you don't know Jesus, I'll wait longer. Do you not know? Are you sure? Have you met? What's happening right now? Where are you at? Those things are, are, that is the message of reconciliation, our job as ambassadors. This is our role to spread good news that Jesus has won and that he is our victory. Verse 21, it says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on on our behalf. So this is the good news. This is the gospel in one verse. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the good news. To become the righteousness of God in him. To know man after the flesh is to not recognize the work of the cross in their life. As believers, for me just to dwell on your flesh, I'm not saying if you make a mess, you need to clean it up. But if I live my life dwelling on your flesh, one, I'll get offended. But I'm not recognizing the finished work of the cross in the life of someone else. Yeah, That's not good. The Bible's saying, recognize the Spirit. Recognize what God's doing in someone else. And they make a mess. Do they clean it up? Clean it up. Grown-ups clean up messes. Then see what God's doing. Treat them that way. Acknowledge them that way. It's the spirit of adoption. Romans 8, 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. Meaning we don't get ourselves right by fear. But it says, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. So why do I bring up adoption? Because I believe we have to adopt a new mindset. We've been adopted. And so we should, and it's within us because we have the spirit of adoption. We should be able to adopt a new mindset. So let's just say this out loud. I adopt a new mindset to know myself after the spirit I am righteous and truly holy I am perfected in Christ I am united with Christ I am one with the Lord I am one with his body I am free I am healed I am delivered I have the mind of Christ I know where I'm going in life I know what to do. I am patient. I am humble. I am kind. I receive love. And I give love. Everything Jesus did for me, I am. I can say I am because I'm a child of the I am. Adopting a new mindset by the spirit of adoption. It is in you to adopt. It is in you to do that. Knowing yourself after the Spirit is knowing yourself by what Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. Romans 6 says that we are united with Christ at the cross through baptism. Uh, which baptism? The baptism into Christ. The death of Christ at the cross was the death of your old man and my old man. So through baptism, we were crucified with Christ. His crucifixion was your crucifixion. His burial was your burial, and his raising was your raising. That old man is dead. It's gone. It's buried. And by Christ, I can rule and reign 
as a priest and king in Christ in the kingdom of God. This is who we are. To recognize our brother after the flesh is to not recognize the work of the cross in our life. Likewise, to recognize our brother after the spirit is to recognize the work of the cross in our life. When you treat someone after the spirit, you're saying, I recognize you're a believer. I see you're a Christian. Have you ever met strangers and you can see the light of Jesus in their eyes? That's my brother. That's my sister. And there's just a common warmth. And then you part ways and maybe you don't ever see him again. Recognizing people after the Spirit. When you meet Jesus, you aren't the same person just forgiven. You are a new creation. You are not a sinner saved by grace. That teaching is a lie from hell. Because it ties you to the old man. That I am a sinner. For you to say I am a sinner... It's completely contrary to the verse that says, I am a new creation. You have to, these are religious things that get in, that got in our American culture. And so we kind of got to dig them out. Got to unpluck them out. That thing said, that I am here, I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) That's of the world. Like it's, I'm not saying that there aren't programs that work. I'm saying that ideology conflicts with what the Bible says. Yeah. I've met alcoholics that are like, oh yeah, I'm, are you alcoholic? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm alcoholic. I've been, you know, I've been sober for 20 years. So I'm alcoholic. Right. Like you're 20 years? You ain't no alcoholic no more. <laughs> yeah. You're not, a, it's not true. It's tying you to the wrong realm. Like, I, I get that there are programs, but why are we making an argument to say I'm still part of the old man? If we're going to argue, why don't we argue I'm a new creation. Like, why are we arguing on this side? Like, flip the argument. Turn it over. When you identify that way, you sin by faith. You're identifying with something, then you're believing, that's just who I am, and I just need to keep it Mm -hmm. under wraps. That's such a lie. Like, it's evil. It's wicked. It's a lie from the devil. It's not true. You are, we are a brand new creation. The old nature is crucified. That alcoholic is hanging on a cross. That alcoholic got put into a grave. That alcoholic hung on the cross, got put into the grave, and was done. And then the Spirit of God touched that man, Jesus, and brought his physical body back to life, a new creation. Like we, this happened in Christ. So, we have to stop making the argument to stay in bondage. Yeah. We have to start making the argument to get in freedom, to walk in freedom that Jesus has for us. We do not recognize someone according to, this, according to the Spirit by the flesh. You have to recognize someone according to the Spirit by faith. And you do it by the Spirit. It's not for me to see your flaws... It requires for me to have faith to see you by the Spirit. I won't see you by the Spirit in the flesh. It takes the Spirit of God for me to see you after the Spirit. It requires it. By faith, we put off the old man when you think of yourself incorrectly. We put it off. How do we exercise our faith? 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, But having the same spirit of faith according to what is written... 
I believe, therefore I spoke. We believe, therefore we also speak. So faith is believing and speaking. It is both. It's not one or the other. The Bible says that the demons believe and tremble. So to believe just brings you up to demon status. Congratulations. Right? Faith is exercised through believing and speaking. Your words matter. Faith is believing and speaking. requires both. Faith by believing and speaking is the supernatural element to the Christian life. Romans 8, 10, 8 through 11 says, But what does the word say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess Jesus, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes. There's the believing resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses, there's the speaking, resulting in salvations. Resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. So what that scripture is telling us, that there is a way of life, the word of faith is believing and speaking. That is the supernatural duo, that heart and mouth connection. When you use that thing together, supernatural things happen. So much so that it transfers someone from an eternal damnation to eternal life. So if it can do the greatest miracle, how much more could it do the smallest miracles? Believing for provision for yourself, believing for your calling, believing for your destiny, believing for your family, believing for whatever. If it can accomplish the greatest miracle of salvation, how much more could it accomplish the simple things? God, I know this person's heart is believing this way, but God, I ask you, would you turn their heart to your will? I see it's going that way and it looks impossible in the natural, but I ask you, God, I believe you have a plan. And I ask you to turn their heart. Believing and speaking, operating, that is the operation in faith. And scripture says, verse 11, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. If you will practice believing and speaking over circumstances, believing in your heart and speaking God's word over it, he says you won't be disappointed. That's a good promise. So it's not just an action. You know, when we baptize people, we don't just dunk people in the water. We say, on your profession of faith, I now baptize you. On your faith, on your profession, on your confession you just made to us, we now baptize you. That is why we do that. Because we need that confession to come out of their mouth. Not just throw them in wet, pull them out wet. Jesus is Lord. He's the way. He's the Messiah. That profession of faith. The believing and speaking uh, faith is part of our identity. And it strengthens our agreement in the finished work of the cross. As a new creation, every spiritual and family curse is broken by the appropriation of the blood of Jesus. We have a new family. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46 through 50. It says, While he was still speaking to the crowds, behold... Jesus' mother, his mother, and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. Someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. What's he saying? I have a new family. Yeah. I'm not connected to my old family. Things have changed. This is post his post-baptism with John. After the dove comes upon him and the father says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. 
He's saying, you, have, you guys have to start seeing me different. I am the Messiah. Their, their natural lineage is no longer in place. That's why Jesus told the person who wanted to bury their father and mother. He says, let the dead bury their dead. They're saying, let me go bury my father and then I'll follow you. It's like, you don't get it. When you come into me, that's, they're not, that's not your mother. Let the dead bury the dead. You are connected to life. There's a cutting off, a cutting away. And to hold is just like holding to your old man. That's holding to the past. That's holding to a different thing. There's a spiritual family that's here that is real. I have, I'm, I'm blessed that a lot of my natural family is my spiritual family. But that's not the case for everyone. So many people, they lose. I mean, you talk about a persecution on the other side of the world. Their family disowns them when they come to faith in Jesus because it was such a shift. It's prevalent that way in a lot of the Catholic cultures here. When some of the Catholic families, when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, when they become a Christian, it is it, it's a problem. Because it, Catholicism is so in the culture that when someone leaves that, I mean, you just slapped everybody in the face. <laughs> Jesus is saying, you've got a new family. So, let's look at the pros of that. I realize there's a cost to it, but let's look at the pros. That means generational things that happen in your natural family do not have to pass into you now. Yeah. There is a separation. Oh, mom's controller, grandma's controller, great-grandma's controller. Oh, dad was an addict, and his dad was an addict, and his dad was that. Those things, broken. Th- they cannot come into this life yeah. unless you give permission for it to. Yeah. Otherwise, they don't. It is, you have to acknowledge that that is not who I am. And if you're going to fight for something, don't fight for the old nature. Fight for the new nature. Amen. If you're contending, contend for the new nature. Uh, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. That's yeah. not who I am. And fight for it. Fight for those things. Um, you must make a conscious decision to deny yourself, your old man, your old nature, and acknowledge your new identity. That's what we were doing a while ago. That acknowledgement comes through faith, which is exercised, and believing and speaking, which we did. So, let's talk about this believing and speaking thing. You know, it, like the spirit of adoption, it's our nature now to adopt a new mindset because we've been given the spirit of adoption. There's roots in adoption. It's why true and undefiled ministry is to care for the widow and the what? Orphan. Orphan. Like, adoption is in us just to go and we just care for the poor. Yeah, but they're there every week or they're... I was going to come back, or they're just going to use your stuff. Don't matter. We just adopt. Love you. It's there. So, just like there's roots in Scripture for adoption, there's roots in Scripture for believing and speaking. Uh, It's found in the life of Abraham. Galatians chapter 3, 29 says, "And And if you are Christ, if you're a Christian, all of us here, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. That same kind of faith that worked in Abraham now works in us. So what does Abraham's faith look like? Romans 4, 1 through 3 says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? 
Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So what's the pattern of faith here? Abraham did not get righteousness by the flesh. Whatever we're going for in God, we're not going to get it by the arm of the flesh. It's just not going to happen. That's not the way faith works. It says, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So verse 16, therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Who's the seed? We are. Let's read again. Romans 4, 16. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed. We are the seed. Not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. A new family. Yay, that's it. That, so that's what it's saying. There's a new spiritual family. He's the father of us all. Great-grandpapa, Abraham. This is our, these are your family stories. When we read, we're reading the Bible in the year, you know, when you read the Bible, you're not just reading theology. You're reading the family story. You're reading the family, family heritage. What happened? The victories. Y'all have heard me share the victories. My grandmother supernaturally delivered from gunpoint. That's a family story. That's real to me because it's a natural family. But now we should see the Bible as real, as like a spiritual family. Our, our grandpapa Abraham took grandpapa Isaac, laid him down the altar. Grandpapa Isaac was like, oh no, a knife's coming at me. And an angel stopped and grandpapa Isaac was like, an angel showed up and delivered me. And there was a ram in the thicket and saved me. And I was gonna, I, my flesh was going to die. But there was a, a ram in the thicket that was now my substitution. If anybody... That's a revelation of the Lamb of Jesus' substitutionary work. It's Grandpapa Isaac. These are our new family stories. So it says that Abraham, who is the father of us all, verse 17, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who, whom he believed. God, this is Romans four seventeen. as it is written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That is the expression of faith. He calls those things which do not exist as though they did exist. That is the manifestation of faith. Verse 18, who contrary to hope, Speaking of Abraham, in hope believed, so that he may become the father of many nations. So Abraham's ability to believe in a hopeless situation is what promoted him. That is your key to promotion. It is believing about the hopeless things, the things that have no hope whatsoever. It's talking about his body being as good as dead. There was no likelihood that there was going to be some activity going on here between <laughs> Abe and his wife. It says he believed in that situation. And the deadness of Sarah's womb. It was two dead people. Reproductive systems ain't working. Okay? It says, so that he became the father of nations, according to what it was spoken. Listen to this. This is speaking of us. So shall your descendants be. 
how shall the descendants be? They will hope against hope. They will call things that are not as though they were. This is how your descendants will be. It is speaking that the same faith that dwells in Abraham is supposed to dwell in us. The same faith that dwelled in Grandpa Abraham is supposed to happen. And grandsons, granddaughters, Gilbert, Ryan. Just like the Spirit of God was in your grandmother Lois is now then your mother Eunice and now that thing is in you too. It's a spiritual lineage. That what was in your grandmother, it landed to your mama and now it's inside of you. And now it's thank you. Now it's on the inside of you. So I love this. Let's read that again, verse 18. Contrary to who contrary to hope and hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. That's awesome. Um, verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. So let's interpret that. To be weak in faith is to consider what? To consider his self. What are we talking about? Denying self. It says, to be weak in faith is to consider yourself. To be weak in faith is to consider his own body or his flesh. How are we supposed to know each other? After the Spirit. So when I am not considering the Spirit, but I'm considering him after the flesh, typically... What happens in the flesh on my end is I get offended at him because I've passed judgment against him that he doesn't measure up to my standard and that's offensive to me. That's called being weak in faith. But if by the Spirit I put that internal judgment down, I say, no, I'm not going to judge him. I'm not going to recognize him according to his flesh. I'm going to see him after the Spirit. The Bible says I'm using my faith. That's not being weak in faith. That's being strong in faith. That's maturity. If we want to obtain the promises that Abraham obtained, we have to do it the way Abraham did. Not considering his flesh, but believing that he who began a good work is faithful to bring it to completion. Most of the time we judge ourselves or or another because the work has not been completed in us yet. But we have to trust that the Lord will bring us to completion. That he will finish what he started. God has started a good work inside of us. Are we perfect? Probably not. But there's a command in the Bible that says, Be ye perfect. So God is not unjust that He would give a command that we can't attain to. But He's calling us into perfection. He's calling us into the perfection that is in Christ. Yes. So, by faith, we have to look at ourselves and say, You know what? I'm not there yet, but I am going there. I am being formed. I'm being transformed on the inside. God, I trust you that you will bring me to completion. And then look to your brother or sister. I trust God will, you will bring them to completion. I choose to believe that about them. I will not look at their shortcomings and see that they're, that they're going to stay down. That's called being in the flesh. But by the Spirit, I'm going to believe God's going to bring Anne to completion. She's going to be a finished work and yay God. I'm going to be a finished work. Yay, God. You know, uh, he did not consider his own body already dead 
since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Listen to this, verse 21. And being fully convinced. Now, being convinced, is that something, is that a spiritual work? Is that in the spirit? Is it in the soul? Or is it in the body? The soul is your thought, will, emotion. So, being fully convinced is not a spiritual transaction. It, what happened in the spirit is, there's no, there's no time to it. It's eternal. What he's talking about, being fully convinced, is his mind. Romans 12, 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you can prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Unbelieving believers can prove absolutely nothing. <coughs> Believing believers can prove things. When I, I, I witnessed to people. Um, uh, I went to Barnes & Noble with um, Erica. We were trying to witness to people because we were just trying the lifestyle thing. I thought, well, I don't have my treasure map today. I just don't have anything. I'm just going to go walk up talk to people. I'm like, this feels kind of weird, kind of awkward. So well, I can I just, let's just try something. I thought, well, who needs Jesus? I thought, let's go to the witch section, you know, which is like half the store, right? So, so I'm like, I go to, I'm like, let's just go hang out with the witches. They need Jesus. Let's, yeah. I'm sure they'll be open to supernatural is stuff. Is it really a lot of the store now? It's all, yeah, half to three-fourths of the store. Probably about three-fourths of the store now, actually. It's, yeah. So I go over to the witch section. There's, of course, there's a couple there. Did looking at stuff. I will go over to them and say, hey, guys, I'm practicing hearing hearing uh hearing god like I'm, I'm practicing that god can speak to me and um i would like to i'd like to practice you know and you guys that that'd be okay and they're like yeah that's cool you know sure <laughs> okay it's, you know and they're just all like into it you know like they're they're obviously looking at supernatural stuff and uh i said okay so i took the guy's hand and the, the girl that was there she's just she's, she's prego um <laughs> And I said, okay, God, I ask you to, which I don't know anything about them. God, I ask you to show me something about these two that I don't know anything about, God. I obviously don't know them. I said, show me something about them. I just waited on God. But I got, I got this name. I was like, you know, is this, do y'all know who this person is? It was, it was one name. And the first half of that name was the parent. And the second half of the name was the grandmother. And it revealed it to them. And it proved in that moment that God knew who they were. Which that was the point. Which I'm just shooting for it, like swinging for the fences. God told me something about these strangers, I don't know. And I got the names of the girls, uh, I think it was her mom and her grandmother. I said, you know what? That just means God loves you and he knows who you are. Unbelieving believers can't prove anything. Believing believers can't. Any of us can do that. That's not like a special thing. It's just taking risk and not being afraid of what people think. Because I could look really stupid doing that. And I have looked really stupid doing it. More than once. I've swung and missed horribly many times. But man, for those ones I've hit, it hits them to their core. And they just think, oh my goodness. And they just, God, really, there's really God? God really thinks of me? 
believing believers can prove it. We have to switch gears, get out of the flesh, and just get into the Spirit. Get convinced. You know, if you go study the old Kenneth Hagin books and the Kenneth Hagin uh, teachings, the founder of Word of Faith Movement and Charles Capsule, those old guys, they will. T- you'll find that they put so much stock in being convinced. It says you can believe it and speak it, and then you have to be convinced. And when you get convinced, that's what happens. Yeah. Get convinced. When I what what took when we did that teaching early in the year on sowing and reaping. What took us to the next level was expectation. We always we did the you know the three steps. God, we acknowledge you. You are the source of everything we need. One, two. We we sow in faith and we believe that your word's going to work. We give you something to multiply. But when we started saying, now I expect, things started happening. Both it is, that is living by faith. What we're doing here, we have no desire to do it by the flesh. Yeah. We will not build a ranch by the flesh. We will not start a church building by the flesh. We're not going to sit here and do things by the arm of the flesh. We've got to do it by the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about tonight is faith is operating by that Spirit. Um, let me read this last verse and we'll be done. It says, And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Are you convinced? We're convinced that this works. We've seen it again and again and again. And God will do it. We are, we're convinced. So not only we say, God, you're our source for the buildings we need. You're our source for the ranch that we're doing. We're not the source. You're the source. We get, we plant our seed. We give you something to multiply. And now, oh yeah, this was it. Uh, and now we expect God to do something for us. Immediately when we said expectation, harvest began to come our way. Immediately harvest began to come towards us. If we can get a result on faith on that and the Spirit, how much more can we, can we get that kind of return on your brother? I will see you after the Spirit. I'm telling you, you can believe for a harvest in your relationships. You can expect God to show up in people. Don't think the worst about people. Start expecting the best to come from them. Start, don't see them like, ah, they're probably going to do this. So, nope, set your expectation high and just expect them to come up to that. Set the expectation high and watch them come up. Verse 22, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Righteousness is not a new status. It is not what we call those who are measuring up. Righteousness is who we are. To be made righteous is to be made a new creation. To be a new creation is to be made righteous, not by accomplishing the works of the law, but by denying yourself, believing in the work of the cross, believing in the work of Christ, and confessing it by faith. Uh, verse 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. My heart for us tonight is to never see ourselves the same. And as a result, to never see our brother the same. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, Lord. We just we, we love you. We honor you. Yeah. God, we ask you, Lord, that by faith, yes. we will see our brothers and sister and ourselves after the Spirit. And God, I thank you, Lord, that as we sow that by the Spirit, Lord, I pray that we would reap it 
in our relationships. Let us all come up a little higher tonight in Jesus' name. As we speak words of the Spirit to each other, let us create a prophetic culture. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.